I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. noticed that for the past few months there's been a new livewire podcast every week that's because we've doubled the number of shows every month and as you can imagine that costs that's right just about double the money so if you've enjoyed listening to all these new shows we'd really appreciate it if you visit livewireradio.org and consider clicking the donate button we can use any amount you can spare and your donation is tax deductible thanks so much for listening during the 1990s a trio of musicians Vitaly Komar, Alex Melamed, and David Soldier hired a polling firm to investigate what kind of instruments and topics people liked most in their music. This most wanted version combines the elements the 500 people surveyed said they wanted. Guitar solos, love, soprano sax, tenor sax, string swells, power chords, and humble ambition. After years of composition, they produced one song using the attributes that people ranked the highest. It was using scientific data to create art, and here's how it went. Every day I think of love, thank the angels up above, they sent you into my world, baby, let me be your girl. Oh yeah, that just sounds right, doesn't right. it? Well, it sounds like you should like that. If uh, I do like it. Well, you should hear the whole five-minute version. It's amazing. After hearing about this study, Livewire thought we would do the next best thing and create a joke based on our survey results. We polled tens of people across the audience and ascertained the elements people most want to hear in their jokes. Our results included dumb blondes, walking into a bar, the screwing in of light bulbs, a priest, a rabbi, and a member of another secular affiliation that will result in being the focus of the punchline. <laughs> Lawyers, golf, and the Irish. Here now is your scientifically engineered most wanted joke. A blonde, wanting to earn some money, decided to be a professional golfer. When she got to the golf course, she told the owner her plans. However, he was a drunk Irish lawyer. She went to the first tea and joined up with a priest, a rabbi, and a Cherokee medicine man. But before they could start, a very specific amount of light bulbs walked into a bar. They were also drunk and Irish. The medicine man looked at the blonde and said, I have a feeling we're in for one hell of a day. Why, she asked. The medicine man looked around and said, It's, it's... Mission Theater in Portland, Oregon, birthplace of the next generation of knock-knock jokes, pioneering the use of the doorbell, it's Livewire! And now it's the host of Livewire, who has scientifically formulated the world's most perfect knock-knock joke. Spoiler alert, nobody's home. Courtney Hameister! Thanks so much, you guys. Um, I don't... I don't know about you, but I have learned a lesson recently. Um, it was taught to me uh, by Mr. George Reekers. Do you know who George is? George uh, was an anti-gay activist. And 
oopsie doodles, um, accidentally might have gotten caught getting off a plane after a 10-day trip with a gay prostitute from rentboy.com. Um, oopsie. He, he said that he had a bad back and he just needed somebody to carry his luggage for 10 days. But I think that we all know, we all know what the truth is. And, and um, here's, here's the thing. This keeps happening. All, all these anti-gay, these rabidly anti-gay activists appear to be gay. And if that's true, then I really feel like there, we, we all need to re-examine our own lives. Like, if that's true, then do I love snakes and root canals? Like, I really feel like we really need to start looking at the things in our lives that we hate. Like, we go to the, you know, you go to the airport and, you know, you're behind one of those people who doesn't understand, you know, uh, walk left, stand right. And instead of fuming behind them, you just, you reach your arms around their waist and you give them a hug. I love you. I love you, person who doesn't understand signs. And like, I was thinking uh, of the, you know, the judgmental hipster at the video store who's, who's just, you know, giving you crap for renting You've Got Mail for the 40th time. I just, I, I feel like I, I need to reach across the counter and just, and gently take his face in my hands and say, it's you. It's always been you, judgmental hipster. Let's go to your house and watch something French and boring. You know, I really, I just feel like he's trying to teach us all a lesson. And, and so just, I want, I think that everybody, because of George, should look at their lives and try to make just these things that you hate with a passion. Let's look at where that passion is coming from, shall we? Right? Yeah, so we'll all re-examine our lives, but, you know, before we do that, we just have, we have an extraordinary show for you tonight. Um, it's a really good night for bread lovers, because we have the man behind Dave's Killer Bread, Dave Dahl, is here. And it's a, it's a really good night for cruel brothers, because Daniel H. Wilson, the author of Brojitsu, the martial art of sibling smackdown, is with us tonight. And, and our musical guest is a woman whose music Billboard magazine called crisp and alluring. Maya Sharp is with us. So it's a great show. Please meet the members of Faces for Radio Theater, Mr. Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, the beautiful Laura Faye Smith, the gorgeous siren of sound, Pat Janowski. And always, the author of Hiding from Salesman, poet Scott Poole, is with us tonight. He'll be watching the show. He'll be writing a poem during the course of the show that's really going to encompass everything that we learned tonight. You ready to start writing, Scott? Yes. If your theory holds correct, I'll be writing many uh, words about uh, nightingales f uh, flying out from the dark depths of my tortured soul. <laughs> because that's what you love. I love that <laughs> in a poem. Well, we're looking forward to, hear it th to hearing it. Thanks, Scott. And, of course, can't do anything without the amazing music. Subbing for our house band, Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops, please welcome Jim Brunberg and the nicely quaffed sideburns. <laughs> Our first guest tonight had her lifelong ambition fulfilled when she shared a stage with Bonnie Raitt. But it was something that was bound to happen to a girl who was on the road as a teenager. She was playing piano, guitar, and saxophone. Her most recent record, Echo, was written over the course of three years and produced in record time by the legendary Don Was. Please welcome Maya Sharp to Livewire. shook his head and said we see a lot of this but it's still so sad it was done at the hands of someone who didn't know what they had used to be so innocent and wild with a light all its own 
show, Maya. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having us. So I, I read that your father, Randy, was a musician. He still is, yeah. Songwriter, all things music. And that you toured when you were a teenager? Um, I actually started playing uh, uh, saxophone live in L.A. and all over the place, yeah. And then uh, when I started writing songs right, right about 20, I fell hard for that, and that, you know, that became the first love. Mm-hmm. So you, for a long time, Bonnie Raitt was, a, was an idol of yours, and you actually ended up touring with her. Yeah, she, uh, she put three of my songs on her last album, uh, Souls Alike, and when I heard that, oh, man, I went fetal in the corner. I rocked back and forth. I couldn't believe this was actually happening. It's too cool. I can't handle it. She sang the heck out of them, and then... Um, emailed, hey, you want to come over and sing some harmony on the record and maybe play a little saxophone? Yeah, let me think about it. <laughs> so that led to playing. That went well, fortunately, because I have a very vivid memory of her standing where you're standing now, just looking at me smiling while I'm trying to nail my harmony. And she's like, like it's hard enough, you know? Don't look at me. Don't look, don't look at the artist. Yeah. <laughs> so... 
that went well, and uh, she asked me to go on the road with her, and that went well, and yeah, it's well, been a wacky ride. What was that experience like? How did it sort of shift your perception about possibilities and, and the world when something like that happens to you? Well, I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't know that you can hang in there even as long as I had without thinking that anything could happen. You know, it wasn't. I, I wasn't all sour on it or anything. You know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, before she showed up. But it definitely did. It definitely was um, a boost right when I needed it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then and you met Don Was when you were recording with her, the harmonies, right? Yeah, after after the album, and she he's called a Grammy-winning producer. He's amazing. He creates this great environment, this just zen, relaxed environment. And I met him when she called me. It was the only uh, voicemail nine one one I've ever received, and it was Bonnie uh, asking me if I could, if I was on Sunset Boulevard in L.A., if I was close, if I could rush over and sing a high harmony on this song. <laughs> It turns out I was very close. I was home in L.A., and I got over there, but I had just had, like, the biggest meal of my life. It was the absolute worst time that you would ever want to sing a vocal. I think I have steak once a year, and I had just had a steak. It was just all things wrong, yogurt and peanut butter and everything wrong. But she called, so, of course, I'm going to say, yeah, and there. So I showed up, and he creates this great environment. It's sonically, it's, it's, he kind of makes an impossible to fail, so it went very well again. Things then, happen, things go well around Bonnie. <laughs> well, they apparently go well around you as well. Have you noticed that? Oh, thank you. Sometimes <laughs> I notice it, and sometimes, <laughs> you know, it's life. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great having you. Maya Sharp, everybody. <laughs> that was Maya Sharp. Her latest CD is Echo. And you're listening to Livewire Radio, offering up comedy, music, and conversation in much shorter bursts than when you're trapped at a party. Plus, you can turn us off if you want, but please don't, because coming up, we have Dave Dahl from Dave's Killer Bread, Daniel Wilson, and poet Scott Poole. We have heard the news from the BBC. Now it's your turn. Call country code 4420783-7272. Welcome to World Have Your Say. Hello, I'm Roz Atkins. Thanks for joining us. Three weeks ago, a devastating volcanic eruption rocked Iceland, grounding air travel and seriously damaging foreign and internal affairs. The effects of Eyjafjallajökull Yogurt will be felt for a while. Is there more to come and what are the reasons behind it? This is World Have Your Say. Let's get right to the calls. First up, Professor Baldur Ginnell from the University of Reykjavik, Professor, are you there? Yes, I am here. Please give us your thoughts on what's going on now in Iceland. As many Icelanders are aware, volcanoes have been the home of dragons for thousands of years. (laughs) The time has come for the dawn of a new apocalypse. All hail the age of dragons. May they spare the lives of their devoted servants. Right, Professor, you bring up a very good point. Have dragons awakened from their centuries of slumber to consume the earth in hellfire? As we are all aware, 227 years ago, a volcano wiped out a fifth of Iceland's population at the time. Could that have also been a dragon? Let's go to another call. This is Jean-Jacques in Lyon, France. Uh, Bonjour. This is all very simple to understand. Iceland is getting punished by God for some music of Bjork. Mm. (laughs) A good point, Jean-Jacques. Her nonsensical screeching has angered the all-powerful and thus... Divine retribution is at hand. And the outfits that Bjork wears, is that punishment as well? Absolument. Whether it is a dress made out of camel hair and rose petals or something that looks like it came out of Star Wars, the woman has no concept of fashion. An apt punishment indeed. Wearing a gown meant to resemble a swan and having the gall to unveil it at the Academy Awards is begging for trouble. This is World Have Your Say. Next we have Diane in Chicago, Illinois, United States. Oh uh, yeah, hi dear. Uh, so my car is making this really weird noise when it gets uh, past 45. I don't know if it's the engine or what, but it's, uh, it's going to... Right, that's a very good point. And what are you driving over there in the States, Diane? Uh, yeah, I got a yeah, 1997 Mazda 626 with about, I don't know, 145,000 on the odometer. Have Mazdas become a victim of their own sterling reputation where even a simple transmission leak can cause panic? 
Or has the automotive giant begun slipping? This is World Have Your Say. Uh, also, when it gets cold, it does like a... <laughs> Diane, it's certainly a faulty radiator gasket, but I have to let you go. We have Augie in Nottingham, England. Augie, are you with us? Right then, he's back. Oh, I need one tikka masala, two orders of the samosas, um, that fish thing with the big banana leaf. A uh, Parsi mochi. Yeah, yeah, one of those, a uh, side of the naan, and then... Oh, get Oliver! Oliver, what do you want, mate? What? Oh, okay. And some tandoori chicken with uh, extra rice. Got all that? Uh, yeah, thanks, Augie in Nottingham. Have Indian curry places become so commonplace that even World Have Your Say can't go ten minutes without someone dialing an eight instead of a six? And it'll be 14 pounds, 10 pence, ready in about 25 minutes. Thanks, Augie. Up now we have Lynette from Sydney, Australia. Hi there, Lynette. This is World Have Your Say. Hugh Jackman is one fine piece of man meat, but it's like he's completely forgotten about his home country since he did all the ex-human action movies. Mm -hmm. He did Australia with Nicole Kidman, but that doesn't really count, does it? I mean, when is he going to start doing the films that made him popular down here in the first place? Uh, thanks, Lynette. That's a very good point. Has the Wolverine become too enamored with the Hollywood lifestyle, or is he just waiting for the right project? Say, a good cop, bad cop movie set in the time of King Arthur with a hearty smattering of time travel and sharks. This is World Have Your Say. Next, we're going back to a caller from Iceland. Henrik lives in Fyodor, which is three miles from the volcano. Henrik, are you with us? Thanks, Henrik. Have ash and lava become too unbearable for human flesh, or is Henrik just a fussy little whiner? I'm Rose Atkins. This is World Have Your Say. More of your calls coming up. Sean McGrath, everybody. Well, our next guest's father was a baker, and as a kid, he never thought he wanted anything to do with his dad's business. And as he got older, he may have gotten into a little bit of trouble with drugs and may have ended up doing time for armed robbery and some other things. Uh, it took him a while, but he cleaned himself up, and now he's at the helm of one of the best bread companies in the West, the amazing Dave's Killer Breads, baking over 14,000 loaves a week of really tasty, healthy bread. Please welcome Dave Dahl to Livewire. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Dave. It's great to be here. We had a friend of yours, Bob, uh, from Bob's Red Mill, and, and on a few weeks ago, and uh, you really wanted to beat his audience reaction. But I, I think you did pretty well. I think they like you. I didn't do as well as Bob did. But, well, if, uh, you, if you give your company to your employees. Yes, and if I uh, do something else, I like, how about this? He's got, he's got a box of bread. Oh! He's throwing bread at the audience. Giant loaves of heavy bread. He's just decapitated someone. He just took out an elderly woman. Wow! Oh! All right, that's enough for now. <laughs> he went for the balcony. That, that was really close. That was really close. Um... <laughs> So, so I wanted to talk just briefly about, about your growing up. Uh, your father started Nature Bake in 1955. Yeah. And at homework. the time, you really didn't want anything to do with the business. What, what was it that you didn't well, like about the business? In 1955, I didn't really want a lot to do with anything because I wasn't born you yet. You weren't born yet. But right. <laughs> when you were a kid, when you were a teenager, you didn't want anything to do. Right. I, you know, I was a mess. Um, I started out a mess, and I got messier. Um, I was a... Uh, uh, as a youngster, I guess I was depressed. I was I'm not guess. I know I was depressed, and uh, I didn't know that there was a reason for that besides just the fact that the world sucked, in my opinion. So, you know, I, I learned. Uh, I, it took me a long time to figure out that, uh, that there was something wrong with me. 
you you did you you got into drugs you uh, and you ended up in prison and you ended up doing about fifteen years is that right total of fifteen years and four four separate trips and at one point did you escape from prison uh yeah <laughs> that's what I read technically yes I escaped they they call that an escape can I you, just can you talk I about walked how you did away that? from a work release <laughs> that's not really an it was, in, it was in Massachusetts, and uh, that's the first time anybody's ever asked me about that. But uh, uh, that's very interesting. No, it really wasn't. It was, I, I had a uh, margarita at a company Christmas party on work release. I was working as a bagel, uh, in a bagel factory as a, uh, a production manager. And uh, I, I stopped at a company Christmas party on the way back and had a margarita. And I, I had... Uh, some booze on my breath when I got back. I wasn't drunk or anything, but they they said, you know what, well, you're getting a UA doll. And uh, I said, uh, okay. And I went upstairs and I packed my bags and took off. I see. <laughs> That's not really... You packed a suitcase it's not and left ex- the house. Yeah, it's not as exciting as, as you wanted it to be. It's, I, it wouldn't be on that show Prison Break. <laughs> no. That story. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> well, so what, what changed things for you? So th- this last time that you got out, why was that different than the other times for you? Well, uh, like I said, I, I finally figured out that there was something you could do about uh, depression. And for me, uh, you know, it was antidepressants, and uh, it worked. And uh, somewhere about 2001, I was in the middle of my, uh, uh, my last bit in, in prison, and I had sort of an epiphany that, that took place with uh, partially because of taking the antidepressant depressant medication, which was a huge thing for me. Um, and going to school. I was able to uh, study as a drafter in prison. Um, computer, computer drafting, not only did it give me uh, a chance to learn computers, but it, it made me realize I was actually a very creative guy. You know, I, it, I was able to do whatever I wanted to do, and it was really exciting, um, an eye-opener for me. And um, that changed in me probably three or four years before I got out of prison last time. And the the really big deal that I that I learned was um, that one you know all of a sudden I was in prison and I was happier than I'd ever been in my life, and and I was just like okay well if I can be happy here wow just imagine what I can do out there when I when sure. I can do what I want sure so, so yeah it, it, I just kept going with it well yeah so you 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 came back and your brother Glenn was running the company at that point. And he, you had some great ideas about, about breads and, and new recipes and he, uh, and he brought you back into the company and he had an idea to actually rebrand the breads, right? These breads and, and sort of tell people your story on the breads. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much what happened. Uh, he was out there looking at his, at his product out on the shelves, which was the old Nature Bake brand. And saw this bread in uh, like a new seasons or something, and and he was like, "Wow, we're really losing our space, and you know, I think we need some pizzazz in our in our bread line. We need to do something." Well, that was right up my alley, so mm-hmm. that worked out. From yeah, it just it was like you know, I when I first got out, I started making, I, st- I started redesigning the product, uh, the the company product line of cookies, uh, which we made for Trader Joe's, and. Uh, you know, I, I, we kind of had to update those, so that's the first project that I that I got onto, and uh, he he was like, all of a sudden he's like, uh, Dave, um, we need some bread, and uh, and I was like, just getting going. You know, right. Was, it would have been Dave's killer cookies if he <laughs> if he hadn't come around and said, hey, you know, Dave, we 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 you know what we're really good at? Our company's really good at making bread, and so you know. And so that was the that was what my brother's contribution to that was, and uh, from that point on, it was you know once once you get me going in a direction, it's pretty hard to stop me. Well, you you work you're really kind of a workaholic now. Yeah, maybe less uh, so than I was when I the first four years or so I was out. I, I'm kind of enjoying myself a little bit more. And these breads, back. if if people haven't had them, there's there's like a million grains in them. I, and so there's around a million grains in each. In each slice, I That's would say. That's a great name um, for bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you have worked so many grains into them, in fact, that um, isn't it true that the machines actually sort of have trouble integrating? Wow, where do you get your information? You're so correct. You're so right. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, 
I need, you know, it is, it is absolutely right. There's, you know, that's one of the things that Glenn and I, my brother and I discussed at the beginning. We were like, uh, you know, what can we do that the big guys can't do? You know, where, what, who are we? Who, who really are we? And, um, you know, if we try to compete with, with, you know, somebody else, uh, the big names, as you know, uh, we're, that, that would be silly. And, you know, what, what can we do that, that is, uh, that they won't want to do? Well, what, what was, what was messed up about it is we, it was really hard to make this bread. We found out that, you know, cause it was like over the top, hard to make bread. And, uh, you know, as far as making it consistent and the product turn out all the time, uh, it's really hard. But, uh, then we found out what, what was funny, once it's that successful, then the big guys want to do it anyway, even right. if it's hard, you know, <laughs> so, you know, that, that's what we're learning. Yeah. Well, and it's hugely popular. I mean, uh, I read an Inc. article about what's going on uh, with the company. Um, they, uh, today, Nature Bakes sells 35,000 loaves of Dave's Killer Bread every week in health food stores and grocery That chains. was a long time ago. Well, uh, at the time... Uh, <laughs> you got at, this one wrong. <laughs> which for decades grew at a steady 10%, has almost quadrupled uh, its revenue since 2005, and at the time was a $12 million company with 83 employees. So how is that... Is that has that grown significantly since then? Dave's Killer Bread is about 150,000 loaves a week now. Wow! Just since that article, I spoke to someone who who's with um, Project Pooch. Yeah. It's a program that takes dogs into juvenile correction facilities, right? Yeah. Um, and you go in and talk to those kids. What do you What do you say to those kids when you go in there? Uh, I say, knock it off. <laughs> uh, I, you know. I just go in and tell them, you know, what it's about. What, you know, I just kind of sp- spread the word that, hey, there's, you know, learn, learn um, about life. Learn. There's so many things. I, I think it's really important to these kids and anybody who's doing time or doing drugs. You have to replace uh, that excitement and that uh, instant gratification, if you will, that you get from doing drugs with something else. And with me, it's passion for my business. It's passion for my, my bread and, and, and the excitement that I get from people, you know, loving my stuff. So, you know, I, I, whatever it is for, you know, creativity, it's I create and I, I just love seeing what, I, you know, love seeing people freak out over it. It's fantastic. Well, there's good reason to freak out. It's really exceptional bread. And that's what, and that's what I tell, tell the guys. I mean, you know, I understand that you have to, you, you, I know I've been there. You have to replace that, whatever it is that you're getting, that power that you get from the drugs and the, you know, the crime or whatever that it is. And you, you have to replace that with something good that is just as powerful. Yeah. Well, you've certainly done it. Um, and we're, we're, so, we're so pleased that you joined us. And thanks so much for the bread. Oh, cool. Everybody's <laughs> really excited. Are we done Dave, already? <laughs> Dave Dahl from Dave's Can I throw Killer some Bread. More bread out? Thanks so much, Dave. to our podcast. Download it at livewireradio.org or subscribe with iTunes. Okay, so I'm glad you guys have come to see me today. A lot of couples come to counseling in crisis, but I love it that you two are here when things are pretty much okay. They sure are. We're just trying to avoid what's happened to a lot of our friends. Exactly. They don't really learn how to talk to one another and then bam, you know, divorce. Right, and then it's like, ah, I have to give you my lawnmower? What? <laughs> but I love that lawnmower. <laughs> he does love his lawnmower. <laughs> oh, honey, you're a kook. Uh, but I'm your kook. You are, you are that. All right. Let's hear a little bit about you guys and, and see if there's anything we need to work on, shall we? Uh, Gary, why don't you start? Me? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Um, well, sometimes I feel like Allison doesn't completely engage when I talk about my work. Oh, no. Really? Oh, I'm sorry, sweetie. Oh, it, it's no biggie. It's just that my work is important to me, so it'd be good if you'd put down the iPad when I'm talking. Uh-oh. I do love that iPad. <laughs> do does. you do addiction counseling, Doc? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Let's not joke about addiction, okay? It's... Sensitive. Oh, 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 right. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, now, Allison, do you have any issues you want to bring up? 
Well, speaking of Gary's work, he's there awfully late most of the time. I get lonely. All right, that's a good start. What else? Also, I'm pretty sure I'm a lesbian. Oh, and I think the garage is a pit. I mean, Gary never cleans that place up, but I have to look at it too, you know? I mean, man cave, schman cave. <laughs> uh, interesting. Can you repeat that second part? Oh, uh, I get lonely? You mean that part? I mean, because I do. There's only so much time my girlfriend can spend with me while Gary's away. Girlfriend? Yeah, honey, you know Chris. Oh, right, sure. <laughs> Weird. Okay, you scared me for a minute. Um, she and Chris hang out and do girl stuff all the time. They're, they're girlfriends, like friends, friends. <laughs> right. And uh, what kind of things do you two do together? Just the standard. We love shopping and you know, going to lunch, steamy girl-on-girl -girl action. Oh, and pedicures. Oh, we love to get our toesies done. Uh, Gary, were, were you aware of all this? Um, I did not know about the pedicures or the other thing. Allison, I, uh, I think you might want to talk about this lesbianism issue. Oh, well, I wouldn't call it an issue, really. I've just never really been attracted to men. You're so hairy. Why are you so hairy? I could shave, I guess. Oh, that wouldn't help. Gross. Uh, no need to get mean, okay? Oh, was that mean? I'm sorry. I thought that men knew they were gross. <laughs> Not really. We don't. But, uh, okay, so can you just talk about why you might have married Gary in the first place then? Oh, I just wanted to get married, you know? I mean, you know, the dress and the tax breaks. Oh, and registering? You get a register for whatever you want and people have to buy it for you. How awesome is that? Well, it is pretty awesome. So now I'm thinking it might have been helpful if you guys would have come to me sooner. Like when? Like maybe before you got married. Marriage is a promise, a sweet, sweet promise between two people who... Allison, can you please put down the iPad? What? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Marriage isn't a big deal, right? I mean, I just figured if I didn't like it, we could get one of those divorce dealies everybody's getting. I mean, plus we get to keep all the crap we registered for. It's a racket. <laughs> and frankly, I wanted in on it. Okay, okay. Um, do, do you enjoy it? Marriage? Oh, God, no. <laughs> have you ever had sex with a man, Doc? I can't say that I have. It's weird, okay? I mean, you'd think they'd be more invested in knowing where stuff is because it directly benefits them, but they're not. Really. I mean, it's like a comedy of errors down there. It, really. Seriously. I mean, it's like an effing Shakespearean farce in my nether regional area. I mean, read a book, why don't you? Am I right, Gary? Yeah, you might be. <laughs> you know what? I'm just gonna go. Uh, you guys seem to have a lot to talk about. Okay, honey. I'll see you at home. Uh, Gary, please don't leave me alone with her. Sorry. <laughs> Tell you what, you can have my lawnmower. Bye-bye. Oh, oh, and what's up with this whole patriarchy thing you guys are doing? I hate that. Oh. <laughs> well, next up, we have probably the only PhD in robotics to ever write an instruction manual on sibling rivalry. Daniel Wilson's previous books include How to Survive a Robot Uprising, How to Build a Robot Army, and Where's My Jetpack? But with his most recent book, Brojitsu, The Martial Art of Sibling Smackdown, Daniel schools us in the art of the python leg squeeze, the breath-holding competition, and the classic, Why Are You Hitting Yourself? Please welcome Daniel Wilson to Livewire. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Hey, Court. Welcome back. Yeah. Tote's been on before. Yeah. Remember is... those times? Yeah, vaguely. <laughs> Remember the time I blanked out and forgot what I was supposed to say and then went next door and started doing whiskey shots? Yeah, oh. that was great. Oh, good times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, those were good times. I um, <laughs> well, before we get into uh, the Brojitsu book, I wanted to, to talk about you. Uh, you were in Variety you know, recently, in the, in the past few months. Something big kind of happened to you. you. You sold your book, Robopocalypse, to... Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you sold it to Doubleday, and then uh, a, a little film company, a little independent film company called DreamWorks optioned it. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, w how that happened? Uh, well, I finally wrote a novel with uh, characters and... <laughs> Things happened to them. Um, yes, yeah, so I wrote 100 pages and then um, went to sell it. And 
you know, it's about robots killing everybody. It's kind of my forte. Uh-huh. So, uh, that and... <laughs> and bro Yeah, and yeah. sibling combat. So, so I understand that uh, the Cloverfield screenwriter's on it already. It's been fast-tracked at DreamWorks. Um, first of all, what does it mean to fast-track a film? Um, and then uh, also, I, I, there's the, the name Spielberg has been thrown around a little bit. Yeah. In connection with his film. Yeah. <laughs> what can can you tell us anything about that, Daniel? I met Spielberg. All right. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. So I, I went down to LA and uh, and went to DreamWorks and uh, went to the into the lot and went to the gate where you know the the man lived. <laughs> and uh, then I stopped and and they they were actually going to let me they were tr- going to let me in there was a guy there checking my ID and then um, this golf cart comes by and uh, there's a guy in it with these little glasses you know and, and that's when I froze and I I didn't say hello and um, and he drove in and then he complained about the golf cart a little bit to the guy and then he went in and and I was like well I don't know was it him and in retrospect, I should have known it was because of how fancy the golf cart was. You it was, know? It <laughs> was had it the gold plated? Paneling and Did pre- it? Pretty sure it had hydraulics. Um, <laughs> you would know whether or not it had hydraulics, roboticist <laughs> Daniel Wilson. And then and then whenever later, whenever I went in for the actual meeting, he was like, I just saw you outside. What's the matter with you? And I was like, I was I was a little scared, okay. So um Well that's hugely yeah. exciting. But he loves robots, so that was score score one for the nerds there. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Well, I think he's he's kind of a nerd. Wouldn't... The way he was talking, yeah, <laughs> he was right there with me. I was yeah. trying to out nerd him. I had all my my nerd afterburners on, and mm-hmm. yeah, I could not leave him behind. No way. Well, we hope that when everything hits, that, that you'll come back and we can talk to you all, all about that. But well, I do live about two blocks from here. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we look, yeah. We'll definitely see you again. Um, but tonight, it's all about the brojitsu. Yeah. It's all about the martial art of sibling rivalry. Um, what, what made you want to write a book to educate siblings about how to beat the crap out of each other? Um, well, like all my books, I thought of the title first. You know, mm-hmm. and then and then went through. Or one of my close friends saw the title first, just like all my books, and then I went and wrote the rest. But you write what you know, you know. And so I have a little brother who uh, I beat the crap out of for about ten years until he got bigger than me. Then I used a strict psychological regimen of uh, pretending to be completely insane, uh, pretending to have hurt myself, all sorts of things really to keep him off me. That worked for another couple of years, and then I went straight on the defense, and that's where I'm still at at Thanksgiving today. <laughs> so, um, I thought I needed to share all this knowledge mm-hmm. that I had, and you know, that's what I do. So, what's the worst thing you've ever done to your brother? The worst thing, um, probably, you know what? I, I, in brojitsu, you're you're never wrong. That's one of the main rules. So, why don't I just sort of uh, correct your question a little bit? <laughs> And answer, what's the worst thing my little brother ever did to me? Okay. Right? Yeah, I think that's more fair. And I think the sneakiest thing that, that he ever did was he took advantage of the fact that my parents trusted him more and that my mom was a nurse. And he would do this thing, not all the time, but just every now and then, where he would go to my mom and he would say, so uh, did Daniel tell you about the rash? And then she'd go, what, what rash? What do you mean? And like... <laughs> And for the next Does week, all of twist your mother. Yeah. <laughs> no, isn't that, isn't that Mr. Bill? <laughs> oh, where's your rash? Oh no! Yeah. So, um, yeah. So he would he would tell my mom, he would plant these little nuggets of, of fear in my mom's head, and he would be like, "Yeah, he's got this rash. He's probably really embarrassed about it. It's, it's you know, it's down there." And so then I got like for a week, mom, no, no, seriously, he's messing with you. I don't. No, I'm not going to show you. Yeah. <laughs> wow, he was I'm really good. He was yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, well, I, I thought that. Son of a gun. <laughs> um, I thought that you could read maybe some of the moves. I might have some counter moves that I used growing up. Um, just if you know, okay. but I, I'll throw them in if I if if I think of any of them. Okay. Because I was really good. So I uh, I was marking them and then I, I just kind of folded all of the uh, <laughs> all of the corners of the book. This is really the pinnacle of my writing uh, career and abilities. <laughs> So um, let's, um, 
here's one that does have a lot of counter moves, okay. actually. Um, so the, one of the main problems, actually, with, when, one thing that separates brojitsu, I think, from a lot of other martial arts, is that you've got these parental referees who, far from being there to sort of make sure that everyone follows the rules uh, and, and obeys all the, all the rules of your martial art, uh, the parental referees really don't want to be a part of this. You know? right. So you actually have to spend a lot of time tricking them into sort of fulfilling their duties as, as parents. I don't know. Maybe that's just my experience. But uh, one of those is the squeal. You know, If you really need to get your parents' attention and they're just kind of ignoring you, you just squeal. And it's an annoying, high-pitched keen might attract the attention of exhausted parents who would normally ignore your desperate pleas for help. Um, and the counter move is the stifle. <laughs> And the counter move to that is the lick. <laughs> and then the counter move to that is the face rub. You rub the, rub the spit on the face. It's, and that's, that is illustrated. It is. There, there are illustrations of all the moves, it's important which was to really share, helpful. To share this knowledge. Yeah, those are, those are excellent counter moves. Um, maybe one more? Do you sure. have one more? I can... I can read another one. Um, let's see. I, uh, oh, okay, the body press. As a big sibling, it can be difficult to torture your younger, smaller siblings without accidentally going too far and over-torturing them. The body press is a useful move for delivering bone-crushing pain in strictly measured amounts. Assume a push-up stance over your supine sib, body raised on palms and toes, legs slightly apart, and arms spread at a comfortable distance. Now bend your elbows and lower your bulk onto a trapped sibling. Once he's wheezing or begging for mercy, lift yourself up so your sibling can get a breath, and then repeat. And, and this is one that has variations, you know, because a lot of these moves have different ways of sort of, you know, I interviewed a lot of people to get all this. Oh, I'm sure. My personal variation was, what if I died like this? You just, you jump on him and you go, what if I died like this? Oh, rigor mortis must be setting in, you know, when they try to struggle. But another version is the, uh, the heart attack where you, you clutch your chest and you fall down and you just kind of spaz out all over your sibling. Uh-huh. And then you go, go find my heart pills. Like that, <laughs> quick, need my heart pills. It's a little move. You know. <laughs> that one doesn't sound as effective as the others because you're a kid. You know, yeah. there's not much, I'm not really going to believe that you're having a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> and my counter move uh, was crying. Yeah, that was pretty the, much my standard. Uh, well, there's lots move. of versions of crying. So for right, us, that's the, totally in the book. The preemptive cry of pain. Exactly. Is very necessary. You got to cry before you get hit. See, <laughs> it's all mind games with these kids. Right. <laughs> well, br- just briefly, there there have been some parents who have had who have taken issue with this book a little bit on the. <laughs> On yeah, the well, the, it was the. Uh, what the do you book have to say re- to them? Reviewed by the library and, uh, <laughs> and said that it was mean spirited. But what I say is that you know the, the, this is all done with love. You know this is, <laughs> um, and in fact, I could actually I could read a quick paragraph to to describe what I mean by that if I have time. Um, so, let's see. Although participation is mandatory, truly understanding and mastering brojitsu has serious benefits. The simple fact is that to properly form a lifelong bond of brother or sisterhood, human beings must aggravate each other, push each other around, and bother the heck out of each other. The unique, enduring love-hate relationship between siblings is why brojitsu is the single most practiced martial art ever put into use by humankind, and to a lesser extent, monkey kind. <laughs> That's a... Yeah. No, it's heartfelt. And the thing is, kids would be, kids would be doing it without the book. These the, moves have been reinvented. Exactly. Uh, I think several hundred thousand years is my best guess. I mean, yeah. If you think you thought of like putting poop on a stick first, <laughs> no, my friend. <laughs> that move is independently being recreated right now in millions of backyards all across the, the world right now. Oh, that's too bad. I really... I was hoping to patent that. kinds of animals. <laughs> Well, it's been great having you, and we hope to see you again. Daniel Wilson, the book is Brojitsu, the martial art of sibling smackdown.
And now I'm pretty sure it's time for the... Audience haiku! We've given our audience three subjects on which to expound. Bread, sibling smackdowns, and volcanoes. Faces for Radio Theater have chosen their favorites, and they're now going to perform them with the help of Jim Brunberg. Tonight's haiku is, as always, brought to you by the new Belgium Brewing Company. This month, featuring their popular Ranger IPA, now in bottles and draft. Canada has its Mounties. Texas has that Walker guy. And New Belgium has its Ranger IPA. Proud, hoppy, and as amber as a divorcee on a tanning bed. An ice-cold tanning bed. That's Ranger IPA from the good folks at New Belgium. Thanks, New Belgium. And now it's time for Audience IQ. Jim, can I get uh, innocent and lilting and then end, end off with some ominous evil tones? My little sister is up in Olympia. I hope she stays there. Thank you, Kate. Uh, Jim, can I get like a little lilting lullaby sound? And then, Tyler, could I get some steady rhythmic snoring? (laughs) All right. You hear volcanoes? It's just my husband sleeping. Yes, he is dormant. Thanks, Eric. And now from the audience to read her expertly crafted haiku, please welcome Margot. Thank you. As a quick introduction, uh, on May 18, 1980, I lived in Yakima, Washington. And that morning, the winds were kind of coming in from the south. And if I may have, like, something rumbling thunder. Sunday morning, light. St. Helens, thunder. Minutes later, night. Derek Fermago. Fantastic job, everybody. Great job on the audience. Haiku. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Maya Sharp. When I first shook hands with John Q. Lonely, he was sitting in a room that held him only. He said, don't feel bad, I'm just a regular guy. My life is the way that I want it. Nobody else is riding on it. Don't have to waste my time living a Day unlike any other, just for a 
Now, as promised, he's been working very, very hard for the last 56 minutes. He's going to help us digest everything that we've seen and heard tonight. Please welcome back poet Scott Poole. What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. I learned tonight that I toured when I was a teenager, too, like Maya Sharp, the Lego Masters tour. I would show up with my bag of bricks on a Friday morning in a town with no name, ready to shake a little magic back into the lonely flat world. And I'd build R2-D2 from the ground up, and I had directions, but that would get boring, so sometimes I'd inlay the face of Miss Bonnie Raitt in his chest just to brighten up the room. Then one day, Miss Raitt walked right in, someone who never goes to brick cons, and saw her sweet face staring back at her, and maybe it was the giant steak dinner I just had, but she said something I'll never forget. This isn't the goddamn hotel bar. <laughs> Not a lot of people know this, but every time a dragon flies by when an Icelandic volcano goes off, everyone's clothes suddenly turn into those from the Middle Ages. So I was wearing this awesome Bjork t-shirt where the sleeves turn into three different large flightless birds of my choice, and Miss Bonnie Raitt was wearing jeans and a beautiful orange flowy blouse, and whoosh, suddenly I was wearing a leather vest, yak hair, pants, and a cod piece covered in studs from the teeth of my enemies. And Miss Bonnie Raitt was wearing a thong of aluminum siding. <laughs> then the dragon swooped around to finish Miss Bonnie Raitt off, but just as he was about to wash us in demon fire, he got hit in the side of the head from a large loaf of Dave's killer bread, <laughs> thrown by Dave himself, and flew off course and was decapitated by Lego guillotine from the French team. Take that beast from the bowels of hell, yelled Dave victoriously. There was much rejoicing that day, I can tell you, as we feasted on the innards of many gutted sourdough bread loaves filled with pints of Mountain Dew. That was until the robots, which were now all wearing clothes from the Middle Ages, came alive thanks to Daniel Wilson's evil powers. Fortunately, they were all made of Legos, which doesn't allow for quick movement especially when strapped down with leather, and he was riding in a golden golf cart with Steven Spielberg. So the robots all bowed in awe, and we all bowed in awe as well, and all was peaceful again amongst the world's treasures we had built about us. We all smiled. Then Mr. Spielberg said, I command you to pull my finger. (laughs) Then we all trampled each other for the right to do so. Thank you. Scott Poole with what I learned tonight. That's our show. Thanks so much for coming out, everybody. Our thanks tonight to our guests, Dave Dahl, Daniel H. Wilson, and Maya Sharp. The Mutton Chops were Jim Brumberg, Courtney Vondrele, and Dave Jorgensen. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Powell's Books, Tonkin Torque, Fitch and Associates, the Falcon Art Community, the Regional Arts and Culture Council, and listeners such as you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Hotel Deluxe. Livewire is created and produced by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tannenbaum. Technical production by Jim Brumberg from Mississippi Studios. Recording engineering by Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Jay Demko. The faces for Radio Theater are writers Courtney Hommeiser, Tyler Hughes, and Sean McGrath. Performer Laura Faye Smith and Siren of Sound Pat Janowski. Livewire's house poet is Scott Poole. Production management and lighting by Drew Flynn. Theme by Courtney Mondrelli and Ralph Huntley. Craft services by Old Wives Tales. Graphic and web design by Danger Creative. Web development by Amalgamotion. Podcast consulting by Morley Studios. Our operations manager is Adrian Schaefer. Publicity by Cassell Communications. For more information about Livewire or to download our podcast, visit our website at livewireradio.org. This is Tyler Hughes. For a transcript of this show, check out my discarded script, available in the recycle bin of this theater in a couple minutes.
Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you. <laughs>